the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The John Steigerwald Show, sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Portions of today's program may be pre recorded. He's not the greatest of all time. Now, this isn't a sports show, but I'm still an old sports guy, and we still do mix it in here once in a while. And today's a pretty big day because Tom Brady has announced again that he's retiring, and he probably really means it this time. So if you haven't heard already, you're going to be hearing lots and lots of media people slobbering all over themselves, telling you how great Brady was. And there is no doubt that he was great. Seven Super Bowl rings are pretty good evidence of that. But it's a team sport, and the game is so much different now from what it was before he came into the league 22 years ago. It's almost a completely different game from what it was 40 years ago or even 50. It's just never been easier to play quarterback in the NFL than it is right now, and it's never been safer either. Roughing the passer calls are now the biggest joke in the NFL, which I'm sure you've noticed if you've been watching games. The old-timers didn't get an extra set of downs and 15 yards when somebody tapped them on the helmet after throwing a pass. Offensive linemen are allowed to do what uh, would have been a 15-yard, by the way, as opposed to a 10-yard penalty now for holding on every play when Terry Bradshaw played. That's why quarterbacks can have five wide receivers these days lined up on most plays. If they had tried that in the 70s, they would have gotten killed because, you know, somebody needed to stay in and block back then. Now, Brady took full advantage of the dink and dunk error. He, he could make all the throws but he was very rarely asked to throw the ball more than about 30 feet beyond the line of scrimmage. Back when men were men, remember that? Quarterbacks took the snap from under center. They got back quickly, that uh, seven-yard drop, and then threw the ball downfield most of the time. Watch NFL quarterbacks now, including Brady, and you'll see them in the shotgun, something, by the way, Terry Bradshaw never did. Took every snap from under center. They'll take two quick little steps back, then they get rid of the ball, which is smart, and that's what you're supposed to do. And Brady was a master of getting rid of it in about two seconds, but being great at that is not as hard as being great at what Dan Marina was great at, or Terry Bradshaw, or Johnny Unitas, for that matter. It's never been easier, never been easier to complete a pass than it is right now. A 50% completion rate was considered really good in Joe Nameless Day. Now... If you're not completing 67%, you're looking over your shoulder at the backup. So let's just call Tom Brady the greatest quarterback of the 20 since, uh, 21st century. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good thing to be. But let's calm down before we declare him the undisputed, slam-dunk, greatest of all time, because he's not. You know why? Nobody is. Well, back to the serious stuff when we come back. We're bringing in our journalism ethics expert to talk about something that would make Walter Cronkite, uh, William F. Buckley, even Howard Cosell spin in their graves. Major media players, like the former executive editor of the Washington Post, are saying it's time to get over the idea of objectivity. And in our second half hour, more woke stupidity from Hollywood. Stick around. Boston Consulting Group in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, seeks a project leader slash principal to manage and design the development of business strategies, including managing case team responsibilities and overseeing business development, client relationships, project planning, and the preparation of outputs. Candidates must have a bachelor's degree in business administration, management science, or a quantitative field related to a BCG client industry, plus five years of experience as a management consultant, business analyst, or a quantitative analyst, which must include at least one year in management strategy. BCG will alternatively accept a master's degree or higher in business administration, management science, or a quantitative field related to a BCG client industry, and three years of experience as previously stated. Domestic or international travel is required based on company or client need. 
multiple positions are available. To apply, send your resume to pitplp at bcg.com. Again, the Boston Consulting Group in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania seeks a project leader slash principal. To apply, send your resume to pitplp at bcg.com. My son Finn was born with congenital heart disease. He ended up spending about the first eight months of his life in the hospital. During that time, he endured 10 surgeries, including an open heart surgery. Starlight Children's Foundation has played an important role in my family's life. For five weeks when he was a baby, Finn lived in a Starlight Hero wagon. You could not understand the pure joy of having him go from a hospital bed into his favorite red wagon. Starlight doesn't just give items that hospitalized kids can use to keep themselves happy, but also memories, moments, and experiences which are so needed in times like these. They allow sick kids to just be kids for a little while. The support that Starlight provides to families like mine is an integral part to creating happiness at a time when there's very little to be found. Learn more about how Starlight Children's Foundation brightens the lives of sick kids by visiting starlight.org today. The word is out. People are abandoning their overpriced wireless carriers and flocking to Pure Talk for the same 5G coverage, but at a fraction of the price. In fact, the average family saves over $800 a year when switching from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. And switching is so easy. You can keep your phone, keep your number, or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. Right now, you can get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month. Or if you still want unlimited data... You can get that and still save a fortune. So make the switch and get the same coverage as the big guys, but at half the price. Go to puretalk.com, type in your address to find the coverage at your home, then enter promo code half off, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code half off. Switch to Pure Talk and get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month because Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Hey, I'm Andy. I started Harry's because I was frustrated with buying razors at the drugstore. And when I say frustrated, I mean like so upset I called my friend Jeff. Hello, this is Jeff. Jeff, I'm at the store, and I don't get why these razors... Cost so much? Yeah, and do they need to look like robots? Ah, dude, I know, and it's so frustrating how expensive they are. Getting ripped off sucks. We gotta do something about this. Why don't we make our own high-quality razors at much better prices? Actually, I heard about this German razor factory that makes some really high-quality blades. Really? Okay, maybe that's not exactly how it went. But we did buy that German factory, where we're turning high-quality steel into super-sharp blades for a smooth shave at a great price. Seriously, as low as $2 per cartridge. Over the past 10 years, 20 million people have tried Harry's. Join them and get your starter set now. That's a five-blade razor, weighted handle, and shave gel, all for just 3 bucks with free shipping. Backed by our quality guarantee. If you don't like it, it's on us. Just go to harrys.com now and enter code MODERN at checkout. That's harrys.com code MODERN. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, we've had Jeffrey McCall, a professor of communications at DePaul University and a media critic for The Hill on this show, probably as much as any guest we've ever had. And he was just on last week. And, uh, you know, I try not to abuse the privilege of having him come on. And he's nice enough to do it. But let's just consider this an emergency session. So, Jeff, thanks for coming on again. Oh, you're welcome. It's always great to be with you. So, <clears throat> Leonard Downey Jr., who's a former executive editor of the Washington Post, put a piece up on the editorial page of the Post. I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but it's up there. And it was all about getting beyond the idea of objectivity. We don't need it anymore. Could you have ever seen this coming? It's really hard to picture. And uh, that piece that was written was really based on a study done out of the, the Cronkite School at uh, Arizona State University. Uh, so this is, I guess, supposed to be academically-based research. Uh, but the notion here that the journalism industry doesn't need objectivity anymore uh, strikes me as weird on several levels. And this, this study was based on interviews uh, conducted by uh, Leonard Downey Jr. and the former president of CBS News, Andrew Hayward, where they talked to and interacted with uh, I think it was 75 uh, editors and executive producers around the country who work in the news industry, or as we call it, the establishment media sometimes. Uh, but what I find interesting uh, about the results of this study uh, and then the commentary provided by Downey Jr. 
is that it really only is confirming what astute news consumers have known for several years, that the people who work in this industry don't value objectivity. Uh, they haven't for a while. Uh, and I'm sure the people in your audience have known this for a while, that the news industry has drifted from its traditional professional standards of fairness and objectivity over the years. Uh, and that partly explains, or maybe largely explains, I think, why credibility has cratered over the last several years. And, and if you allow me, I have one or two other thoughts real quick here before we move on. The fact that these people think that uh, objectivity is not important tells you really how presumptuous they are that they think they've got a corner on what is right or what is wrong. <laughs> and the fact that you've got so many people in the, who are prominent in the journalism industry saying, oh, the, the general public doesn't need information. They just need us to spoon-feed for them the ideas that they should have. It uh, really strikes me as weird on several levels. One is, like I said, it's presumptuous. But number two, it's not like all these people in the journalism industry are geniuses to start with, that they have a corner on wisdom. It's not like all these people are in the Mensa Society and are so wise that they should have exclusive ability to force feed down the public's no, you know, a throat uh, what is right and what is wrong, or what is the best idea or the bad idea. Uh, and then the last thing I want to say here real quickly, and then we can move on, is that what they're really saying here when they, when they say that objectivity and fairness is no longer important, that it's okay to push ideas, what they're really saying is that they've abandoned the entire mission of journalism in the first place, which is to provide information to a, a news-consuming public that can help empower that public to make decisions for themselves. And when you get away from that mission of the news industry, we're not talking about news anymore. We're talking about propaganda when you get right down to it. So what they're really saying and trying to justify in a backhanded way is we don't want to do news and journalism. We want to do propaganda to force ideologies or ideas or political points of view down throats of unsuspecting news consumers around the country. And honestly, they th if they think this is a business model that is going to help rescue the struggling journalism industry, th they are sadly mistaken. Yeah, and uh, what you just did there for the last, I don't know, minute and a half or so is exactly why I wanted to have you on the show. You summed it up perfectly. Uh, but, uh, so, but let's just, I want to go through some examples here to just kind of back up what you've pretty much established already. But this uh, Leonard Downey Jr. says uh, object objectivity was a good idea for a while. Now, <clears throat> in the piece, he waited until his third sentence. This is a long piece, too. The third sentence before he wrote, quote, that increasingly reporters, editors, and media critics argue that the, quote, the, quote, standard was dictated over decades by male editors in predominantly white newsrooms and reinforced their own view of the world. So, again, it's the, uh, the third sentence. It's, it's, it's the racist angle. And, and I just, uh, Jeff, I guess that just kind of cancels out Everything that was written before what, 1960, maybe? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it looks, it, it makes it look like all the people who've worked in the industry and tried to establish professional standards um, were all bigots or narrow-minded goofballs, and I, and I just don't buy that necessarily. I mean, I think there were a lot of decent professionals who worked very hard in the journalism industry, and the fact that in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, that many of them were indeed white and were indeed male was not necessarily just because the journalism industry was trying to, you know, uh, close out any other points of view, but that was kind of a reflection of most professional industries at that time. Uh, that, that, that's a reflection of what was happening in the medical industry at that time and the legal industry at that time and all those kinds of things. And so I think that going down that path, especially so early in the piece, uh, is basically just trying to polarize and to even push that ideology and to suggest that if you are a male or if you are white, that you don't have any gumption or you can't be fair. And I just don't buy that necessarily. I mean, I, I know that there are people who are narrow-minded, but professional journalists historically tried to be fair. And I think we should give some credit to the many solid professionals who worked in this industry for many years and tried to help establish that standard. 
And I think when you just dismiss this, that objectivity and fairness now is no longer appropriate and to say, oh, that worked for a while, well, I would just say, when is fairness out, out of season? I, I would think fairness should always be forefront in any profession, whether it's education or business or law or anything. I mean, fairness should be kind of a fundamental principle of humanity. And I think when you've got people saying, oh, fairness out the window because, you know, those standards were established by white males, you know, 50 years ago, I'm just thinking that really is, that's a narrow-minded point of view. I mean, that's a bigoted point of view when you get right down to it. Uh, But I think uh, in writing that line, I think we have a columnist who's trying to play to a particular mindset and to a particular slice of what we might call the woke audience that is all going to applaud him and pat him on the head and say, oh, you took on, you know, the old-fashioned narrow-minded bigots, when in reality he's kind of, in a sense, becoming himself a narrow-minded bigot in a different kind of sense. And he's, he's, he's establishing the fact that he's had a conversion and he's on their side now, and there is some virtue signaling going on there. Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, Jeff, when I read that sentence as the third sentence in the, in the piece, if I didn't have a radio show and was looking for topics to spend 15 minutes talking about, that would be where I stopped reading, right there. That sentence, I'm done. It, it made me keep reading only because I wanted to, to explore how ridiculous it was, and which, uh, which is what we're doing right now. But here's another quote from there. Pursuing objectivity can lead to false balance or misleading both-sidism in covering stories about, are you ready, race, the treatment of women, LGBTQ rights, income equality, climate change, and many other subjects. I didn't see, like, in their gun, uh, Second Amendment rights, you know, there's no, there's no problem with objectivity on that because they know that they have all the right answers for that already. So there's no reason to even mention that as something that might require some objectivity. And it's interesting. The news agenda is really quite broad, as we've talked about before. And to use those particular topics as examples for where we don't need fairness or balance uh, suggests that they're not worried about objectivity and a wide range of other topics out there. But it also suggests, too, and I think this is worth pondering, you know, this is a culturally disrupted time. You know, people have a lot of hard feelings about a lot of different divisive issues in the culture wars. And, um, you know, people know what we're talking about when we talk about the culture wars. But it suggests that there's a predetermined right answer in the culture wars. And anybody who doesn't agree necessarily with any of those particular hot-button issues is somehow uh, to be ignored or shunned or shamed. And I think for any of those topics with regard to women's rights or abortion or even racial justice or whatever, they're nuanced. There are a lot of complicated aspects to them. And so to just say, oh, you know, we don't have fair coverage of, you know, the women's rights issues, like, well, that depends on what aspect of it you're talking about. And you can't just say, oh, on women's rights, everybody should agree because, it depends on what aspect of women's rights you're talking about. And so that's kind of this, I think, uh, unfortunate uh, broad brush that some of the people want to bring to the discussion when it comes down to these polarizing issues is to not look at nuance, to not actually have an honest debate about things like abortion or gun rights or whatever else, uh, but instead just to say, oh, you're on the wrong side of history, and so therefore you don't get to speak, or you're an idiot. And yeah. I just think whenever you take that approach to, to any sort of debate, uh, you, you're, again, engaging in polarizing communication, and you're, you're actually shutting down discussion and the opportunity to provide healing or to come to compromise or to, to some sort of resolution where everybody can try to work together. We're talking to Jeffrey McCall. He's a professor of communications at DePaul University, also been a media critic for The Hill, about a piece written by Leonard Downey Jr., a former executive editor of The Washington Post, basically saying that it's time to just forget about objectivity. Uh, Downey writes, Jeff, that uh, he, well, he justifies eliminating objectivity because, quote, 
Now the mainstream news media is coping with economic and digital disruption, along with increasing competition from misinformation on cable television and the Internet. Now, is there some degree of objectivity required to even use the name misinformation, much less <laughs> seek it? Well, we live in an era now where it's uh, kind of trendy to label as misinformation uh, any opinion that you disagree with. Right. And so, and I think that's what he's working off of there. And also to suggest, like, all cable news just traffic and misinformation, again, is a rather kind of global statement uh, that condemns uh, without actually going through the nuance of looking at what's out there. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that cable news, in many regards, is polarizing, and it's, it's designed to get ratings, uh, and they have a lot of opinionated people, particularly at, in prime time. Uh, but that doesn't mean that these people don't have something to say. And that doesn't mean that uh, we should just dismiss them or demonize them. Uh, and I also think it's worth noting out <clears throat> that in the broader discussion of political and cultural issues, it's helpful for people to have opinions and analysis, but it should be labeled as that. And so I don't think when he's dismissing these cable news channels as you know, sources of misinformation, just because they have opinions he, do he doesn't agree with, he's actually doing us any service at all, because I think what he should be saying here is, uh, on the facts of the day, people have different ideas of what they mean, and maybe we should entertain what some of these different ideas would be. And I would dare say, uh, anybody who's left of center politically should probably watch Fox News once in a while in the evening and just see what's on their mind. And I would say the same thing for people who are right of center, to watch MSNBC or CNN in the evening once in a while and see what they're talking about, too, because you can't ever really try to build community if people are off in their own little corners. And I think that's what this guy is saying here, is that it's okay to send people in their own little corners as long as they're in the corner I agree with. Right, right. And I think that's very dangerous. Now, I've uh, got a couple minutes left here. This was a study, and he went around and talked to editors and producers around the country this is what he got from Emilio Garcia, Garcia Ruiz, editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle. Quote, this is what he said, The consensus among younger journalists is that we got it all wrong. Objectivity has to go. Unquote. How do you, as a professor of communications, talk to your students about that sentence right there? I, you know, I still believe that fairness is a skill. I still believe that when we're doing straightforward news, that you can find facts, that you can report facts fairly and honestly and as facts uh, without uh, interpretation or adjectives or that sort of thing. But this notion here that objectivity has to go and uh, that Emilio Garcia Ruiz is saying, well, the younger journalists are saying blah, blah, blah. Well, the younger journalists are all a product of the journalism schools, for crying out loud. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. you've got journalism schools like at, the, at Columbia University in New York, uh, and Northwestern University, and I dare say probably Arizona State, um, it, those are some of the major ones. If they're in higher education in this day and age, where everybody goes in with their ideological torch burning, uh, and these journalism students are in front of professors who are trying to push their ideological points of view and telling the students that objectivity is inappropriate or that fairness is an outdated notion, uh, which I don't agree with, uh, it's no wonder that they come out of journalism school, they get their first job or two, and they're showing up in the newsroom at the San Francisco Chronicle and saying, I don't want to be fair, I only want to say what I believe. And I think that gets back to the presumptuous nature of this, this whole study, is that it's basically justifying journalists only wanting to report the opinions that they already agree with, which makes me think, though, that these journalists uh, don't have enough energy or gumption to look at a different point of view. And that I think this would be important for them to say, hey, you might have a particular point of view about uh, immigration or gun control or abortion rights or whatever. Whatever that opinion is, go try to find some people who have different ideas and maybe have different arguments and let them have a say. Hey, Jeff, uh, I, and I, let, 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 go, let's have the debate in public and through the journalism world. I have 30 seconds. If this catches on, is journalism dead? Well, it's, it's pretty far gone already. 
the business models are deteriorating. If this catches on any more, I would say, rather than to start with, if it catches on any more, I think journalism will die because I don't think there'll be a business model out there that'll support it. Well, Jeff, uh, you demonstrated exactly why I thought it was time for an emergency session with you. Perfect. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Great to chat with you. Okay, that's Jeff McCall, and he gets it. Trust me. Professor of Communications at DePaul University. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. Winter storm is causing havoc across the southern states. It's expected to be sunny in the plains and most of the west, but forecasters warn a series of storms loaded with ocean moisture will continue from Texas to the Carolinas today, with bands of rain, freezing rain, sleet and snow in store from Texas to the east coast. Over a 1,000 flights have already been canceled. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders declared a state of emergency. In Texas, Governor Greg Abbott urged people to stay off the road as emergency responders rushed to hundreds of collisions at least two people have died. As correspondent Jennifer King reporting, the FBI is conducting a planned search of President Biden's Rehoboth Beach, Delaware home, taking a look for more possible classified documents that may be in his possession. More and more jobs opening up despite fears of recession. According to the latest report, employers are still robust in their hiring plans. On Wall Street right now, the Dow up 35 points. This is SRN News. Losing your family's home movies and photos would be devastating. That's why Legacy Box exists, to preserve your family's recorded moments digitally, ensuring they're safe forever. Think of the time and money your family invested to capture family vacations, birthdays, even your wedding. Recording a lifetime of memories was a commitment. Camcorders cost thousands, and cameras required film and development. Legacy Box is the final step to preserve your family's past. Thankfully, it doesn't require another big investment. Legacy Box is safe, simple, and affordable. Over one million families have trusted Legacy Box to convert their analog media to digital. You owe it to your family to safeguard your memories. Become your family's hero and save them before it's too late. For a limited time, Legacy Box is offering an exclusive discount when you go to LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. That's LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. Dr. Sebastian Gorka wants Republicans to get serious. Allegedly, the reports are that they're already investigating Hunter Biden. They're already investigating the uh, continual classified document drops uh, regarding the uh, the Hunter Biden home that Biden, that Joe Biden was living in. I think it's a great idea if they do it seriously. America First with Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Afternoons at 3, right before John Steigerwald at 5 on AM 1250. The answer. Treat your someone special to an unexpectedly special Valentine's Day with a gift from Trinity Jewelers. From their beautiful crosses, diamond, pearl, and gemstone collections, Mark Helgerman and the custom jewelry experts at Trinity Jewelers will help you find or create the perfect gift to express exactly how you feel. Visit trinityjewelers.com today or find them aboard the Gateway Clipper at the Word FM Valentine Date Night, February 10th. Trinity Jewelers, your trusted custom jeweler for over 50 years. Hey, John Steigerwald here for Johnny and Jesse Samick, my friends over at Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. When disaster strikes your home or business, demand the yellow van. Fire, water, or mold, Service Master's technicians are trained and equipped to get you back to normal fast. Even when dealing with insurance, you have a choice who repairs and cleans up the mess. Make sure you demand the yellow van. Call Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Service Master. The new year gives us the opportunity to make resolutions. You may have goals focusing on your physical, mental, or financial health, but have you considered your legal health? This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. You may have been putting off updating your estate plan or creating one altogether. We provide free consultations in order for you to finally check the box off your resolution list. Whether you want to discuss the difference between a will or a trust or the functions of a power of attorney, we'd love to talk to you. To schedule a free consultation today, visit a-h.law. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. AM 1250, the answer. Weather. Patchy clouds expected overnight. We'll see an overnight low of 19. Intervals of clouds and sunshine tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll see a high of 38. 
Tomorrow night, the start of an Arctic blast. It'll be rather cloudy and colder, becoming breezy late with a couple of flurries, the low getting down to 11. Partly sunny skies expected Friday. It'll be breezy and much colder with a high of only 17. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, if you only watched what was coming out of Hollywood, you might think that about half the people in the country are gay. That's not an accident. We found out with undercover videos, for example, that uh, top, top executives at Disney were pushing LGBTQ themes whenever possible, including for you know programs for little kids. Uh, Christian Toto of HollywoodandToto.com, an author of Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul, is here with a story about how one horror festival... Uh, is punishing anybody from Florida or Texas who has the nerve to submit a film. <laughs> Christian, thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. So what is the Salem Horror Fest, Horror Fest, which, by the way, here's something that's not affiliated with the Salem Network, Radio Network, just so we clear that up. <laughs> yeah, listen, there are a lot of horror festivals across the country. I think they do a good thing. They shine a light on some indie horror films, much like the regular film festivals do for more dramatic fare. And, uh, you know, that's just one of them. And, you know, if you're an up-and-coming filmmaker, you need these festivals to get your name out there, to get the product out there. That's what you do. It kind of builds buzz, it builds excitement, and maybe get your name out there in a way that uh, promotes your cause. So they have a, it was something that I saw on, on social media. Someone had kind of basically highlighted their rules for their current applications, and it was very subtle, and, you know, it didn't jump out at you. But if you read the notices, they said, basically, if you're submitting work and you're submitting work from either Florida or Texas, your films must have gay or lesbian themes, characters, significant storylines, or we will not submit. We will not accept your submission. So, you know, you don't have to read between the lines. That is them saying that they don't like what's going on in Texas or Florida as far as the legislation. And they're going to punish the filmmakers who happen to live in that area, it's as simple as that. It's uh, it's amazing, and they do it with uh, with no shame. They it's it's just stunning to me that and it's what's also stunning to me is that is that if I'm a filmmaker that I have to put up with that. As you said, a festival is a way for me to promote my film, and I have to I have to do the kind of I have to produce the kind of film with the kind of story that the people who are the gatekeepers possibly for whether or not my film is seen by anybody or it's not going to get seen by anybody. Yeah. You know, they made it official, but this is really sort of an undeclared guidance system that, that applies across the board. Just give an example. You know, the Sundance film festival just wrapped. If you made a movie, a documentary that showed how, uh, Brett Kavanaugh was unfairly treated during the confirmation hearings and kind of exposed uh, all the nefarious tricks against him and how the people who were accusing him, their, their stories had so many holes, so many uh, you know, empty, empty promises. Do you think that would get in the Sundance Film Festival? Of course not. Not a chance in the world. But the opposite did. There's a, there's a documentary called Justice about Kavanaugh that kind of recycles all the, the claims against him. And it was, you know, got all the press, got all the attention, got the Sundance screening. That's the way the system works. So, you know, in a way, I almost applaud them for making it official. But there is one twist to the story about Salem, which is interesting. A filmmaker who lives in Florida, who hates Governor DeSantis, the current governor, is filing suit against them, saying that what's going on there is discriminatory. And that, you know, just because they live in Florida doesn't mean they should be forced to submit a story that fits a very narrow guideline. So, you know, I don't know what the legal outcome will be. Uh, the festival is holding its ground for now. But how interesting that even someone who doesn't like DeSantis and doesn't like some of his legislation doesn't think it's fair. Of course, they're right. Yeah, of course. Uh, just for the record, I would be uh, in I would be defending the horror fest on that one. They should be able to be as stupid as they want to be. <laughs> I don't think the government or a lawsuit should have anything to do with it. But that's uh, that's just me. Um, uh -huh. You know that that's because it would work. It can work the other way too. So, sure. So, no, I, I totally get that, but it is ironic. Oh yeah, that it's happening the way it is. And uh, you know, I wrote a story a day or two ago. I think a Salem newspaper covered the suit, but there really isn't that much attention being paid to it. And I think for a lot of mainstream media outlets, 
they're embarrassed by it. I mean, it, it's obviously a, a virtue signal, a partisan shot, but it also discriminates against filmmakers. And the filmmaker in question, I saw the trailer to his movie. <laughs> I don't think it's a gun with the wind level quality, yeah, yeah, to yeah. be blunt. But, you know, listen, he should have a chance to submit his work and have it judged based on its uh, you know, its merit. And maybe it's better than the trailer suggests. But, you know, that's you know, that's what's happening across the cultural board. And I, a, a quick mention, there have been multiple stories in the last few weeks that are really showing how this sort of woke force diversity movement is impacting arts in a very dramatically uh, negative way. But they're coming from the interesting places. One was the New York Times. One was in Variety. And then the Free Press, which is Barry Weiss's new outlet, has a, a pretty powerful story just this week about how, uh, you know, artists like uh, uh, ballet theaters and things like that, how they're being forced into these situations against all creative impulses. Yeah, and that's not good for the creative in, uh, an industry that is uh, dependent upon creativity. So um, the Academy Awards are coming up. By the way, before I get to that, uh, who's out there thinking that there's a wide audience for people who want to dredge up the the uh, the Brett Kavanaugh story again and drag that out? And who's who's going to pay to go see that? I mean, it might make for a nice well, <laughs> conversation yeah. piece at the festival, but who's going to go to a theater or, or crank up their TV to watch that? I don't think that's the purpose. I don't think they're looking to make a lot of money with that documentary. What that documentary does is it restarts the news cycle of negative stories about Kavanaugh, which is what has happened the last two weeks. You've seen story after yep, story yep. after story, discussing mm-hmm. the movie, lauding the movie, and also with nary a negative or critical word about the movie. Instead of saying, well, do you remember this and that? I remember how Michael Avenatti you know, put some people forward and he was now in jail. And obviously he's not a trustworthy <laughs> figure. I yeah. mean, there's a lot to say about that case then and now. But when, when these movies come out, that's the purpose. They kind of just change the narrative back. They put these facts, so-called facts, into the, the mainstream. And the media gives this fresh blood. And that's it. So it doesn't even matter that no one sees it. A lot of people see it. Who knows what kind of audience it'll have. It's out there. Somebody will see it. And the news will just magnify the message. We're talking to Christian Toto of HollywoodInToto.com. Also the author of Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul. So the Academy Awards are coming up, uh, Christian. Uh, how is it that anybody could come up with the best movie ever made and not only win an Oscar but not be considered this year? That could happen, right? Uh, I mean, when it comes well, you know, yeah, well, to the year, we... There's a, the, the writers, I guess they're inclusion writers or whatever they're called, and the, you can, if you're going to be... If you're going to be up for an Academy Award, the quality of your movie is not the only thing. It's going to be the uh, the 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 what's judged by the by the people yeah. out there who give, hand out the Oscars. Now that goes into official work next year, but it's sort of oh. been softly applied up until now. So basically, it's a diversity rule where if you want your film to be a Best Picture nominee or have the chance of winning that big Oscar, that's the big one, you have to kind of submit certain areas, either the movie itself, the theme has to be from an underrepresented group or that the cast may be 50% people of color. There's a, there's a very, you, to, you kind of go to the website at Oscars, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of break it down for you. But, you know, I'm, call me old school, but I'm thinking you make a great movie, you should get an Oscar for best picture because it's the best movie of the year. But that's, that's where the industry is going. It, it, it was subtle. It was sort of part of the culture, but now it's official. So if you're making a great movie, it's not going to be enough starting next year officially. Okay, so is there a group that's more overrepresented than the groups that you just mentioned that they consider underrepresented right now? I mean, well, what does know, underrepresented what is, mean? In what way? I, I, <laughs> that's a good question to which I really have no answer, but I think women fall into that group. And the last time I checked, they're about half the population. So I'm hoping that they <laughs> that they are reasonably represented. I think they yeah. are to a certain degree. Listen, there are inequities. There have been very few female directors of consequence over the last 50 odd years. I think that's changing. I think more women should get a chance if they've got the vision, if they've got the talent, you know, step up to the plate. Let's, let's make some great movies. No problem with that, obviously. But it, it is bizarre. You know, and also it speaks to, well, what kind of movies are you going to force Hollywood to make? So if you're making a, if you're thinking of a story and think, well, it's a great story, but it doesn't fall into that category or this category, 
yeah, we're going to skip it. We'll make something else. And so <laughs> all of a sudden you're going to have people telling the same kinds of stories over and again because they want a shot at Oscar glory. You kind of can't blame them in a way. I went to see A Man Called Otto. We talked about that movie with you the yeah, last yeah. time you were on with Tom Hanks. I didn't hate it. In fact, I actually okay. kind of liked it. My wife made me go, and I, I ended up liking <laughs> it enough, you know. But, but they managed to work in a transgender character. Uh, was that an example of the pressure movie makers are under? I know you saw the movie too, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that, you know, that aspect of the film and, and the, the character made sense and all that stuff and helped support the kind of the conversion or the definition of Tom Hanks as Mr. Uh, as a man called Otto. But do you drop in a transgender guy and then that kind of gives you a pass? It's hard to say otherwise. Listen, you know, it, because of the climate today, if that were to happen organically, it's certainly fine. They, you know, the storyteller can tell the story that he or she wants to tell. But there, there is sort of a, uh, a trend you see where things kind of out of the blue pop up and enter the story. Uh, you know, if I were writing that story, I don't think that would be my first, second or fifth impulse. But it is what it is. It's a minor moment in the film. But it did. It does jump out just given the way the culture is working these days. Yeah. It seems like an odd thing to, to enter into the equation. Yeah, and the movie is based uh, on a, a book, I think, and it's a book uh, written in Sweden, or it's not, it's a European <laughs> country, I forget which one. Um, and I, when I watched it and I saw that, it, you know, at the end that it was based on a book, and I, I just had this thought, I'm going to guess that there was not a transgender character in the book. I would guess so, too. It is an American version, so they yeah, definitely, yeah. you know, they're going to update it. It's set in Pittsburgh, so there, there are things they do with it to make it more Americanized, to update it, to change it a bit. You don't want to make a, a duplicate of the uh, the foreign version. But, yeah, that, I mean, that's, you know, that's what we see across the board, and you, know, you could say it's, it's you know, part of the process, but then you see leaked videos from Disney where the people behind the scenes are saying, we're going to do this, we're going to be aggressive about it, we're going to put it across the board, this is our purpose. So all of a sudden you think, okay, that's not organic, that's not just from the creative process, that's a, a direct impulse to change the stories we see. Now, in your your book, uh, Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul, uh, has plenty of example, examples of those bombs. Uh, Christian, do you see anything changing? Uh, for the good, I mean. It's all, we know it's, it has changed and may still be changing for the bad. Well, you know, I think what's happening in Hollywood right now is a lot of these companies, the big companies, the Netflixes, the Warner Brothers Discovery, they're feeling the pinch of the economy. They're feeling the pinch of Hollywood, all the swirling changes going on, and they're starting to trim the fat. They're starting to cancel shows more quickly, not put up with product that isn't getting an audience. And I think often, not always, but I think that these woke projects often don't draw a crowd and are sort of susceptible to the, the chopping block. And we're starting to see that. So I think that's a good trend. I think it should be more about, does the audience like it? Is it are they responding to it? Does it matter? As opposed to, we need to change the, the public. We need to ch send a message. We need to kind of manipulate the masses to think the way we want them to think. So I think if the storytelling is better, if it's more authentic, then then that's great. But I think we, because the economy is in such rickety shape, I think you're seeing Hollywood saying, gosh, we got to do better. we got to crunch some numbers. We've got to be careful what we're putting out there. That's one of the reasons why that Batgirl movie got shelved, even though it was nearly done. Mm -hmm. The early buzz was it was bad. It was woke. It wasn't engaging. They said we'd rather cut our losses and put it out there. Uh, that sounds awfully capitalist of them to be thinking that way, doesn't it? <laughs> Sometimes show business is a business, but not always, not always for sure. And I think it's one of the weird lessons I've learned in recent years that, you know, like you mentioned, the, the Justice movie, that documentary, is that going to make a lot of money or is that going to speak to a very, very small subset of the population? I think you're right. I think it's the latter, but I don't think that they're doing it just for the money. I think there's a bigger play there. Well, can you do both? Can you make a movie that doesn't necessarily appeal to a wide audience and still make a few bucks? You can if you keep the budgets low. You know, I think there's a delicate dance there. You know, the Ghostbusters reboot from 2016 actually made more than $100 million, which is not bad at all. But because the budget was so big, it was a huge flop. So I think, you know, if you're a filmmaker, you got to be careful. Maybe you hire lesser known stars, keep the budget down. If you want to send a message, it's probably a smarter way to go. Just kind of, you know, don't make it where it's a flop flop. Make it where it's only going to lose a little bit of money or maybe make a couple of dollars. We're talking to Christian Toto of HollywoodandToto.com. He's also the author of Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul. 
So um, we have a few minutes left here, Christian. Are, are there any unwoke movies on the horizon? Another Top Gun Maverick, maybe? You know, I don't know. I will say I've seen a couple of rom-coms recently that I thought were pretty unwoke. Uh, from late last year, Ticket to Paradise with George Clooney and Julia Roberts was really fun and old school. Liked it quite a bit. Nothing woke at all about it. And more recently, you know, it's not a great film, but I found it kind of fun and diverting was uh, Shotgun Wedding. It's Jennifer Lopez, Josh Duhamel. It's, an, it's a rom-com. It's on Amazon Prime only. came out about a week or so ago. I, I thought it was charming. It had some laughs. Jennifer Coolidge is there stealing some scenes. So I, I feel like lately I, I'm starting to see more films that are just straightforward entertainment. There's no sort of lectures. Uh, but I will say the opposite is the case with a new Netflix movie called You People. It's got a great cast, including Eddie Murphy and Jonah Hill. And it is, it's not even woke. It, the woke is so buried in the movie's creative DNA. Everything about it, every scene, every character is woke. And it's terrible. And I hate, I hate to say it because Eddie Murphy is great, is great in the movie. Actually made me laugh a few times, but I just wish he'd make a better movie lately because it's, it's been a while. Uh, I, I did a segment on an internet show that I did several years ago because I back then I, my schedule allowed me to go to a lot of movies and I would go to at least – I was probably going to 75 movies a year is what I put the number at because it's you know close to two movies a week. Um, and I used to, my, my way of, of – um, one of my ways of, of ranking a movie for people was you know, when if it was a chick flick or if it was – if your wife – said she was going to, if you thought your wife was going to be happy with you if you went, it's okay, go see it, you'll get through it. Uh-huh. If it's a, if you're, if you're concerned about, if your wife might get mad at you if you don't go, okay, <laughs> go see it. And then there'd be others I'd say, if your wife threatens to divorce you, if you don't go to this movie, don't go. Just do not. <laughs> go. And that's kind of my way of, when you talked about the, the Clooney movie, that, that was the, my approach to that one. I guess you, you I, would I have gotten through that one? Yeah, I, I thought it was very likable. You know, those are two big stars, yeah. and they just kind of ease your way through the movie. It had some funny scenes, had some beautiful scenery. They're they're, <laughs> they're ageless, those two, Roberts and Clooney. They don't seem to suffer the, the, the tumult of father time, and I, I just found it very diverting, and, and it didn't feel like a lecture, and I, I think that's refreshing, too. Well, I went to two movies this weekend. I went to see Women Talking and The Plane, two very different movies. Which one do you think I like better? I'm going to guess the plane. I, I, I did not enjoy women talking, though I did like the monkeys song that was in the middle of the movie. <laughs> that was good, yeah. But uh, the, the plane was a good action movie, and uh, women talking was unbelievably good acting, period. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's a bit of a drudgery. It's, it's, it's well done, but it's like, it's like eating your vegetables. Yeah. Well, I, 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 uh, so I am, I'm becoming more conversant with you because I'm seeing more movies now, and I'm always glad, always glad to have you on the show, and uh, you can give me a little scouting report on some of these things. I appreciate it, Christian. My pleasure. Okay, that's Christian Toto, HollywoodInToto.com. We'll be right back. My son, Finn, was born with congenital heart disease. He ended up spending about the first eight months of his life in the hospital. During that time, he endured 10 surgeries, including an open-heart surgery. Starlight Children's Foundation has played an important role in my family's life. For five weeks when he was a baby, Finn lived in a Starlight Hero wagon. You could not understand the pure joy of having him go from a hospital bed into his favorite red wagon. Starlight doesn't just give items that hospitalized kids can use to keep themselves happy, but also memories, moments, and experiences which are so needed in times like these. They allow sick kids to just be kids for a little while. The support that Starlight provides to families like mine is an integral part to creating happiness at a time when there's very little to be found. Learn more about how Starlight Children's Foundation brightens the lives of sick kids by visiting starlight.org today. 
Wesley Financial Group is not a law firm. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare. And in the process, started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. If we take you as a client, I guarantee we'll cancel your timeshare or you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit. 800-626-5252. That's 800-626-5252. 800-626-5252. This is the John Walt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. Well, I thought we had uh, good conversations today. Um, two very different topics, but two of my favorite guests, Christian Toto, who you just heard, I, in his book, uh, is pretty good and, and tells you all about how woke Hollywood has gotten. And and um, Jeffrey McCall, if I were sending my kid to school to learn journalism, I'd want him to be taught by Jeff McCall. Boy, is he all over it. And I just, he has to teach a class And there's now, we actually, in case you missed it, there's actually a discussion going on about the, well, the, 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 uh, the unnecessary, the the saying that object, objectivity is unnecessary in journalism now. And these people are saying it with a straight face. Uh, the, the guy from the San Francisco Chronicle said, object, this is a quote, He's the executive editor or some, some – he's an editor at the, uh, the San Francisco Chronicle. Objectivity has to go. Now, there, there's another um, piece that I saw on, online today. On, on, actually, I, I came across it on Twitter, and it's, it's written by a guy named uh, Jeff Gerth. He's a freelance journalist, and he's had three decades as an investigative reporter – at the New York Times, okay, that's where he was, and he's written a, a four-part piece uh, called "The Press Versus the President," uh, and and he actually talks about how the press was totally un. This is a guy from the New York Times, how the the press absolutely was unfair in its coverage of Donald Trump, and uh, he says. This is his last paragraph. I've avoided opining in my more than 50 years as a reporter. This time, however, I felt obligated to weigh in. Why? Because I'm worried about journalism's declining credibility and society's increasing polarization. The two trends, I believe, are intertwined. Talk to you tomorrow. John Steckerwald Show is a production of Salem Media Group and sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the Yellow Van. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.